One of the things that the LDS missionaries will tell you is that there was an apostasy that happened, a falling away, that occurred after the disciples and the apostles had died. What I want to do today on the Let's Get Real podcast is answer that objection and deal with that head on. Was there an apostasy? When Jesus told Peter, you are Peter upon this rock and I will build my church and and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That was Peter's profession. And when Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away, that was Jesus speaking. So did Jesus tell the truth, or was there really an apostle, uh, an apostasy? Let's talk about this on the Let's Get Real podcast. And you are listening to the Let's Get Real podcast. Thank you for tuning in to us this week. You know, I've been thinking about how to start approaching the LDS church. You know, I've been involved in countercult apologetics since the 80s, late 80s. And one of the interesting things that I have found is that the arguments for the LDS, that actually coming from the LDS missionaries, is that there was an apostasy. They keep harping on that. You know, they're saying that, you know, when the apostles died, there was a lot of corruption, a lot of changes, a lot of things that happened. The gospel disappeared from the earth. And I want to address that today because it's a very important thing to understand. And unless we really understand what they are really saying, we will really not realize that they are actually attacking the Christian church. You know, they teach that a complete apostasy occurred after the the death of Jesus Christ. And they, they say that many major teachings of the Lord were lost. And of course, that is found in Joseph Smith's histories, also in Nephi 14.10, and in the Ensign, which is a magazine by the LDS Church of November 1985, page 82, and December 1984, pages 8 and 9, which church is right in 1982? But, you know, here's the thing. We have to ask the question, are they correct? Was there a complete apostasy such as that with the restoration through Joseph Smith, who was actually the first president and prophet of the LDS Church? Uh, you know, was there... A, an, was there an apostasy uh, that was needed? Now, we understand that when Jesus said, you are Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he did talk about the keys of the kingdom, giving them to Peter, whatever will be bound on earth shall have already been bound, uh, loosed, uh, bound in heaven, and what was loosed on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. That's in the optative voice of the Koine Greek language. Now, here's the thing. Who has the authority in the Mormon church? Well, first off, as I mentioned to you last week, they believe in presidents and prophets and all, and they have a council of apostles and all this other stuff. The first presidency, the prophet and president and his counselors, 12 men among Uh, along with men who are under them, called the general authorities. They're the ones that have the authority. Each gets his own authority for assigned responsibilities from the prophet while he is living. 
the quorum of the 12 apostles are 12 men, <clears throat> and these 12 men, just under the prophet, also they have the same authority and the quote keys, end of quote, as the president or the prophet, but can only partially use them as authorized by the prophet. President Joseph Fielding Smith in Gospel Doctrine, page 142, said the following. He said, what is a key? It is the right or the privilege which belongs to and comes from the priesthood to have communication with God. Now, I'm going to be doing a podcast as we go through this whole thing about the Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthoods. Do the Mormon church, or does the, good grammar, Rob, does the Mormon church hold the priesthood? Do they hold the Melchizedek and Aaronic priesthood? What does that actually mean? I'm not going to deal with that here, but I, I want to set the groundwork for you when it comes to this. Now, back to the quorum of the Twelve. They can only be fully used by the apostles when there is no president, and, the historic, and ha, that historically has seldom happened for long periods of time. Usually it happens when, it, when the, uh, the prophet dies, like um, some of the prophets when they died. Uh, I can't remember one right now. I just, anyways, um, when there is no prophet or when Jesus died, the apostles had the keys, all authority, and that's what they teach, Mormon doctrine, in pages uh, 591 and, and, and then also page 49. When the priesthood was allegedly restored, so-called, it wasn't, didn't need to be, but let's just grant them this. When it was allegedly restored to Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery, it was done by Peter, James, and John, three apostles. So they also have a teaching that in there's a passage in John chapter 6 talking about how John would not die until certain things had happened. My question to them is, is the Apostle John still alive and why he couldn't be available for a meet and greet with the rest of the apostles of the, of the Mormon church? But that's neither here nor there. The Apostle John is allegedly the only apostle of the original 12 left on earth, and that's what they say. According to Mormonism, he was to live until the Lord came, and that's found in Doctrine and Covenants 7. It is logical that he has all the keys, all authority, therefore he could appoint and ordain new apostles and keep the Lord's church going on earth. The second president or prophet, Brigham Young, seemed to agree when he said the following. He says, how vain are the imaginations of the children of men to presume for a moment that the slaughter of one or two or a hundred of the leaders of this church could destroy an organization so perfect in and of itself and so harmoniously arranged that it will stand while one member of it is left alive on earth. Brethren, be not alarmed. For if the twelve should be taken away, still there are powers and offices in existence which will bear the kingdom of God triumphantly victorious in the world. This church, meaning the LDS church, may have prophets many and apostles many, but they are all to stand in due time in their proper organization under the direction of those who hold the keys. That's Brigham Young, History of the Church, August 15, 1844, 
chapter 7 and 250, section 250. But anyway, according to the Mormon church, he didn't, and some say he couldn't. Why not? Why didn't all the original apostles while living hand on their knowledge and authority of and those to others who were were who were live, living on? Were the original apostles bunglers? Did the Holy Ghost fail to do his job? Was the Holy Ghost a failure? Um, did the Lord fail to build his church as he promised again as I as I mentioned earlier? And that is found in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So if, the, if Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, there was no apostasy and Jesus' words are true. However, they don't think so. Can the Lord... So the question that we have to bring up is can the Lord raise up people to serve him? Some say correctly that, you know, we've got our free will, and I agree, we do have a free will. We are free moral agents before God. God would not be loving if he had not given us uh, the freedom to serve or not serve him. And that the Lord, in his plan of salvation, does not force people to do his work. Obviously, God is loving. You know, that's why people, when, when atheists go and they go and they say, well, um, if God is loving, then I'm going to be in heaven. Well, that's another objection I'll cover later, but basically if they don't want to be there now, they're not going to be there later. Back to this, some Mormons say that this is why the Lord's Church was gone for 1,800 years. Now, first off, it is true that the Lord does not force people, but also I believe that He can and does present opportunities to people and remove obstacles from their path in order for them to enable them to do his will. Now, look what he did with Saul. What he did with Saul, who became the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, this illustrates what the Lord can do and will do to raise people up to achieve his will and his plan. Now, there is also uh, an example in the Book of Mormon, an example of a similar incident in Alma, the younger, and that's found in Mosiah 27, 8, 28 through 23, and also uh, Revelation 17, uh, verses 16 and 17 is also another example from the Christian perspective of how God can enable events to meet His and fulfill His plan. Now, the Bible does speak about a falling away and how wolves creeping into the flock. We can read about that in Matthew 24, 11, Acts 20, 29 through 30, 2 Corinthians 2, 17, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, 11, 4, Galatians 1, 7 through 9. But there is no biblical evidence that says that there would be a complete apostasy. There is nothing that says also that the Lord's church would be lost or destroyed such that it could not operate or would need to be restored. Now, if you look at the Book of Mormon and look at its cover, it says a copy of the restored gospel. They believe that the Book of Mormon is a restored gospel 
of Jesus Christ. And of course, there's no Mormon doctrine in the Book of Mormon. There's no doctrine. It's just basically it came to pass, it came to pass, it came to pass, and it's a bunch of... It's no greater than Shakespeare. And the Smithsonian Institution, I've got a copy of the letter from the Smithsonian Institution about the lack of archaeological evidence for the Book of Mormon. So the question that, that now surfaces, if the Mormons say, are saying that they're right, we have to ask the question, what about the biblical promises? Were the biblical promises, were they wrong? Now, Mormonism would have us believe that many biblical promises that the Lord's Church would always go on and would never be lost were wrong and in error. What happened to the clear statements in Isaiah 40 and verse 8 and Matthew chapter, six, uh, Matthew chapter 16 verse 18 and 18 verse 20 and 28 20 in the Great Commission? <clears throat> what about John 10 29? What about uh, chapter 14 verse 26 and 16 verse 7 and 13? What about John 17 and verse 20 and Ephesians 6 17? Are these passages in error, or are they just plainly misunderstood? If Mormonism is correct, and it's not, that these statements were meaningless for 1,800 years while waiting for Joseph Smith to come along, and, the, and, then, and the, the apostles and the Holy Ghost were, if that is the case, let me say this again, let me structure it this way. If Mormonism is correct, that these statements were meaningless for 1,800 years while waiting for Joseph Smith to come along, then the apostles and the Holy Ghost were nothing but abysmal failures and the Lord's church was totally lost. Now, that's a lot of biblical promises and a lot of biblical encouragement that is a wipeout if Mormonism is correct. And I'm happy to say that Mormonism is not correct, and I'll go and defend that through the rest of this show today. You know, for about 1,800 years, the Lord could not find anyone to restore His church on earth, really. He stopped building His church. Uh, what about Matthew chapter 16, verse 18? Does anybody uh, of, of this even make sense? Does this make sense at all? And, and obviously, the big answer to that is, is, is no. You know, we um, have had the church ever since the church was inaugurated in Acts chapter 2. There has never been a falling away. There have been apostate, people who have been apostate, but the church itself has not been apostate. The biblical promises were honored. Okay? Plain and simple. The biblical promises were honored and just doesn't make sense. The Lord's promises in the scriptures that were mentioned above were always honored. The apostles and the Lord appointed, the, the apostles that the Lord appointed were not abysmal failures. They didn't drop the ball. They were not bunglers. The Holy Ghost was not a bungler or a, a, a failure. The Holy Spirit was always there to teach and guide God's people. 
That's found in John chapter 14, verse 26, and 16 and verse 7. The Lord did build his church, and the gates of hell have not prevailed against it. There were two or three uh, gathered together. The Lord has always been there, even in the midst of the original context of that passage, which is church discipline. It still is a maxim that goes beyond church discipline in the fact that even when we go to church, we bring the temple with us. The Holy Spirit, the temple of the Holy Spirit is there. So if you've got one believer, two believer, three believer, four, we've got church happening. It doesn't need to be two or three. But again, we need to understand this, that the Holy Spirit is God, and He is omnipresent as much as God is, because He is God. We don't have to call Him down. We don't have to compartmentalize the Holy Spirit. And I'm not going to chase this rabbit anymore. But you know, it's interesting that some LDS teachings also agree. According to the references given, even Brigham Young said that the Lord's Church would survive persecution. Isn't that interesting? The, the power and the offices would remain even if one person were alive, according to the Doctrine and Covenants, chapter 7. The original Apostle John is still alive on earth, according to him and according to the Mormons. He certainly had all the necessary authority to continue the Lord's Church. Now, please understand, I want to let you know as we get ready to wrap this show up today, that... I'm happy to say (laughs) that the Lord's Church is still alive and it's not the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's right. It is not the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The Bible-believing Church that goes back to Jesus' statement in Matthew 16, You are Peter, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And even more so when when he says, and I'll go and I'll give you the references even more, because what I will do is I will read the full context of this, and you will see that the Mormon church preaches another Jesus and a false Christ. Folks, there has been no restoration needed, and no restoration needed has has there been. In Matthew 16, Jesus is asking his disciples, who the people say that the Son of Man is, after answering him about what the public opinion was, you know, like Elijah or John the Baptist who had died, you know, he asked them a little bit more personal of the question. He says, who do you say that the Son of Man is? And Peter answers, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. How did Jesus respond? Now, are you going to wait for Joseph Smith? No. Here's what Jesus said. In in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 16, he says this, And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, Petros, 
and upon this rock, Petra, which is a neuter noun, meaning the proclamation or the affirmation or the declaration that Peter said. So if you have Catholic friends, you know, ask them this, why is it that he, why is it that Petros is a, a nominative proper name, meaning a name, nominative name, and the upon this rock, Petra, is a third declension neuter noun. Peter can't be neuter. It's a masculine name. The, the proclamation can be neuter. What was that proclamation? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what, Je- what Jesus says, I say to you that you are Petros, and upon this Petra, I will build my ecclesia, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And then in Matthew chapter 24, we read the following at the Jesus, where he's at the Olivet Discourse. He's gone through uh, answering, going through answering the questions of when will the Son of Man come? How do we know the signs of the end? And in Matthew 24, at verse 24, Jesus says this The false Christs, and that includes Mormonism, and false prophets, Joseph Smith. Brigham Young, and others, will arise, and by the way, before and after and present day. It's in the future tense. These false prophets will arise and will provide great signs and wonders. Well, they're not really doing that, but that's okay. There are others that are, that are cultic. So, as to mislead even possible, even the elect. Let me stop here for just a second. One of the biggest slaps in the face on the evangelical church is because we do not have apologetics and we do not have teaching is that LDS missionaries brag that they baptize a Baptist church every year because of the great fallout of of what's going on in the church today. Verse 25 of Matthew 24, Behold, I have told you in advance, so if they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or behold, he is in the inner rooms. Don't believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes as far as the west, so will coming of the Son of Man be. Where the corpse is, there will the vultures gather. But later in that passage, he stated the following. He says, heaven and earth will pass away. So if you take that passage, what he says here, there's going to come a time when the heaven and earth will pass away. But then he says, my words will not pass away. So what does that mean? We don't need a restored gospel. There has been no apostasy. If Jesus told the truth, and a Mormon missionary will tell you that, yeah, well, you know, he's, he's the son of God, he told the truth, then point him to this passage in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, and even Matthew chapter 16, and that passage there where he talks about, you know, what I've shared with you. Folks, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is one of two religions in, in, in religious history that it was brought about by angelic proclamation. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, 
Paul says, if we or an angel from heaven come and preach to you a gospel which we have not preached, count that, count them an abomination. That word abomination is the Greek word anathema, which means divine damnation. They preach a divine damnable doctrine. The Muslims teach a divine damnable doctrine. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, what is that gospel? I want to tell you what that gospel is. You know, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why do I believe that? Well, because of a historical crucifixion and a historical resurrection, because the Apostle Paul tells us that God demonstrated his own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that not only that, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. I just took you from Romans 3 to Romans 10. Folks, take your Bible and read from Romans 3 to Romans 10. And just see the grace and mercy of God. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has a false gospel and a false Christ. The church never disappeared from the earth after the death of the apostles, and it's not going away until Jesus returns. And when he does, there's going to be a glorious return. Because the church is alive. It is not a denomination. It is not a building. It is the ecclesia, which means the called out ones or this assembly. And we get that from Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, Colossians 1, verse 24, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, where we're talking about equipping the church for the work of ministry. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, and the church is comprised of those who have accepted Jesus Christ alone as their Savior, and not only as their Savior, folks, but also their Lord. Is He your Lord? You cannot restore what was never lost. And if you're a Mormon listening to this podcast. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, please email me at roblundberg315 at gmail.com. I want to answer your questions. Please know, number one, that we love you and we want you to know the truth because if I'm not telling you the truth, it means that I don't love you. But if I am telling you the truth and I believe that I am, I'm giving you the biblical truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth when it comes to the fact that the church has never gone away and that the Mormons teach a false teaching when it says that the church needed restoration. If that means, if the church doesn't need restoration, then the Book of Mormon is a wipeout. And I will talk about the Book of Mormon next week on the Let's Get Real podcast. So as you go out this week, please be like a German shepherd, listen to uh, with your spiritual ears any opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you know anybody that is a Mormon, I ask you and beg you to go and tell them about this podcast episode and even send them the link if you get their email and I want them to listen to what I have to say here so that they can at least understand that they're listening to 
false doctrine, and they're listening to a false apostle, and they're listening to the angel of light, who is no more than a minister of Satan. So as you go out this week, as you go out and share with others, as you go out and get involved in conversations, see if you can turn those conversations into a conversational evangelistic opportunity so that you build a relationship and a rapport with a person. But ultimately, the goal is to bring the gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and he rose on the third day according to the scriptures. So until next week, this is Rob Lundberg from the Let's Get Real podcast. Go out and give them heaven, and we will back, be back with you next week. Lord bless.